You're listening to the Coastal Church Audio Podcast with Pastor Dave Coop. Palm Sunday is a Sunday of celebration. It's a day when our Lord came into Jerusalem and there was incredible excitement, expectation was at an all-time high, and the people were so looking forward to seeing Jesus and celebrating him. What they were expecting and the way God was going to deliver them was different. They had two, they're on two different pages, God's way versus man's way. Our whole theme is God has a better way. And on that Palm Sunday, as Jesus entered into Jerusalem, the way that they thought they would get delivered was very different than the way God had in mind. And so I'm going to introduce a message with this little video. It really summarizes Palm Sunday. So watch this, then we'll get into the notes. good question. Whose way do you want? Your way or God's way? And that was the question that was really out there on that Palm Sunday. God had a way, man had a way. It's been that way, of course, since the beginning of time. Palm Sunday, obviously we call it Palm Sunday because they were waving palm branches. I'm going to borrow one from the flower display here. We'll take a, this is a palm branch, and uh, they were waving palm branches that Sunday morning. Palm branches were a symbol of victory. In that day, that culture, you wave palm branches for victory. It was the wave of victory. And uh, we don't wave palm branches today when we have victory. Nobody's getting out their palm branch and going to the Canucks game and, oh, let's get our palm branches and wave palm branches. We don't do that at the game. We might wave a white towel but we're not waving the palm branch. 
Uh, in the day, though, that was it. You wave palm branches when there was victory. They even put it on their coins. Here's a picture of a coin that was minted around that time. And on the picture of the coin, you're going to see uh, that they have a guy who's riding in his chariot. And as he's riding his chariot, he's got this palm branch that he's waving. And it's not on the screen, so just use your imagination. But anyhow, there's this palm branch that we, they would wave at the time. That was what they did. And today, we don't do that. Today, if we want to have a wave of victory, somebody might give you a thumbs up. In that little video that we had about Easter service, somebody was giving a thumbs up because they had a cookie. Thumbs up. Victory. I got my cookie. Uh, so that might be a sign of victory. Winston Churchill, after the war, he gave the sign of victory. He's known for giving the victory sign, uh, also known as a peace sign, but it's the victory sign. That's a wave of victory. Or, like I mentioned, you might be at a hockey game and, uh, oh, there's Churchill, and he's given that victory sign. Uh, how about Tiger Woods? What's his victory sign? Yeah, that's victory, right? Pump, fist pump. If you score a goal in a hockey game, they kind of go down on one, on one knee, you know, and they give that, yeah, I scored a goal, victory side. Or if you're a Canucks fan, you know, it's uh, kind of emerged that you wave your white towel and you see that crowd, they're not waving palm branches, they're waving white towels. But take that crowd, transpose that to Jerusalem a couple thousand years ago, and you would have people as excited or more excited than that because they think not a puck's going to go in the net. They think they're going to have victory over the Romans. So they got a lot more to shout about. If you've lived under any kind of oppressive government to know that you could possibly having a victory through somebody who's coming into town, you'd get really excited. So we're going to talk about that this morning. How many here have been to Jerusalem? Who has visited the city? All right. There's a few of us that have been to Jerusalem. It is, isn't it? It's an amazing trip to go to Jerusalem when you're in that city to walk where Jesus walked and to be there. It really does take the Bible from kind of black and white into color. And I'd encourage if you have the chance, go to Jerusalem and just take a tour, be there to see the place, how real it is. It kind of puts things in perspective, too. You think, okay, there's... Because you imagine things in your mind. Okay, this is where Bethlehem would be, and this is where the Sea of Galilee is, and this is where all these places are. But when you get there, you realize it's a lot closer than what you think, and you kind of put things into perspective. Jesus is about to come into Jerusalem. He's been in Bethany the night before. Bethany is a bedroom community, kind of like from Vancouver to, let's say, Burnaby away. And he'd stayed there for a night in a village, He'd spent the night with Lazarus, and Lazarus had two sisters, Martha and Mary. He'd spent the night with them, and uh, the people were really interested in Lazarus. There was a a buzz. Uh, In today's world, the paparazzi would have been outside the door trying to get a picture of Lazarus, because Lazarus, just prior to this, has been raised from the dead. He died, as you remember. He was in his grave, in the tomb there, for four days And then Jesus showed up, and he raises him from the dead. It was a great forecast of what would happen to our Lord. He's raised from the dead. He comes back to life. And he's there with Jesus at night having supper. Martha's there. Mary's there. Everybody wants a story. And I can't blame them. You know, if you 
had a chance to sit down and have a meal with somebody who'd been dead for four days, wouldn't that be interesting? I'd ask some questions. I'd be saying, you know, Lazarus, what was it like? Like, what happened when you died? Where did you go? Did you go through a tunnel? Did you see a light? You know, we'd ask him all those questions. And I'd want to know, like, what was it like when Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth? How did you hear it? What was it like to jump out of the air in your grave clothes? And was it light blinding? And what was it like to come back into your body? It would have been an incredibly interesting story to hear. Well, the people in Jerusalem wanted to hear the story, and they were interested in meeting Lazarus. As a matter of fact, so many people wanted to know about Lazarus that the chief priests, the religious people said, we got to get a hitman, take this guy out, because if he keeps going and keeps talking, everybody's going to follow Jesus, because that's a bona fide miracle. We can't do much with that. It's so happened that we're going to have to take him out. So they were really nervous about Lazarus. So the night before this happens, this Palm Sunday, Jesus has a meal with Lazarus. Disciples are there. Mary's there. Martha's there. And they're, they're talking, having a supper. And Mary does something that just really ticks off Judas. As you know, Judas is a disciple that went sideways. And uh, he was really into the money thing. And he took care of their, of their treasury. And it says that he often stole money out of the treasury because he was a thief. So Mary decides to anoint Jesus with perfume. She takes a pound of this perfume and she anoints his feet. Now, Judas flips out. He says, what are you doing? That could have been sold and given to the poor. Well, he would have taken his cut off it. That's what he wanted. But it was a year's worth of salary. That's what this perfume cost. So let's say you made $60,000 a year. That lady poured $60,000 worth of perfume on Jesus' feet. And then she wiped it with her hair, and she was prophetically preparing him for his death and burial, which was just a few days ahead. So that was the scene on the night before. A lot of drama the night before. And then the morning comes, and our Lord is on his way to Jerusalem. And he talks to a couple of his disciples. He sends two of them. We don't know which two it was. We don't know if it was Peter or John or Nathaniel or Andrew. We don't know which two it was. But he said, you guys go into the village here and get me a donkey, one that's never been ridden. And if they ask, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Just say, oh, the master is in need of it, and he'll let it go. And so he picks two disciples, and away they go. Again, we don't know who they are. But I would have liked to have listened to the conversation that day as they walked into the village. And, and uh, I, it might have gone something like this. You know, I, I can't figure it out. Jesus never took a donkey. Today he wants to take a donkey. We've walked all those miles. We've walked all three Galilee, Samaria. And Jesus never rides a donkey. Today he wants to ride a donkey. What's up with Jesus? He wants to ride a donkey today. I don't get that. Yeah, and he wants us to untie a donkey that's never been ridden before. How do we know if it's been ridden before or not? I don't know. But he wants us to untie one. Yeah, what if they say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Then what are we supposed to do? Well, I just say, he said to say, the master's in need of it. Okay. So they're walking along. They see a donkey. You think that's the one? Oh, I don't know. Looks like it's been ridden. They come along. Oh, that, that's definitely a colt. Never been ridden. But I think it's big enough to hold Jesus. So let's, uh, should we untie? You untie. No, you untie. You untie. Okay. So they go over there. They untie. They just get it untied. And say, hey, what are you doing with my donkey? Uh, <clears throat> The master is in need of your donkey. Oh, that's cool. He can have my donkey. Oh, okay. So they walk the donkey back to Jesus, and Jesus gets on the donkey. Of course, a lot more is happening there in this, but now they're going to proceed into Jerusalem. Now, 
those of you who've been to Jerusalem, you know that you can come into Jerusalem through the Kidron Valley. You start at the Mount of Olives, and you go down a pretty steep little hill. We call it the Mount of Olives, but for those of us who live in British Columbia, we would call that a foothill. But there, it's called a mountain. And our mountains in Nepal, they call foothills. So it's all relative. So they come down this Mount of Olives, and then through the Kidron Valley, the parade goes, and then it goes up into Jerusalem. So that's the setting that we have. And uh, we need to find out today uh, what was prophesied in Zechariah chapter 9, verses 9 and 10. It's in your notes. Turn your notes there. And let's read Zechariah 9 and 10, where it says, Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion! Exclamation mark. Rejoice greatly, O people of Zion. Shout in triumph, O people of Jerusalem. You know, God's all right if we shout. He says, shout, rejoice, O people of Zion. Make some noise. Let your king, look, your king is coming to you. He's righteous and victorious. Yet he is humble, riding on a donkey, even on a donkey's colt. This was prophesied years ago. When you study the scriptures... It is astounding how many prophecies Jesus fulfills right at this moment. He arrives at Passover. The crowd is there because of Passover. They've come to remember coming out of Egypt. The crowd is there. He's there for that reason. He is crucified at the right hour. There's just all these prophecies that take place. Daniel had said in 483 years, this would happen. Years ago, in Babylon, he'd written that. It's an incredible amount of prophecy that is taking place right now. It's, it's, a, it's a precise moment, and he rides into Jerusalem on this donkey's colt. Then it goes on to say, I'll remove the battle chariots from Israel and the war horses from Jerusalem, and I'll destroy all the weapons used in battle. Your king will bring peace to the nations. His realm will stretch from sea to sea, from the Euphrates River to the ends of the earth. Now, hasn't Jesus, his influence, hasn't it stretched around the world? You go to any country and you can find out that what Jesus talked about has been there. Now, it wasn't, he didn't come to set up a physical kingdom. He came to set up a spiritual kingdom. And this is where the people were confused because they thought, oh, yay, we have Jesus here and he'll set up a natural kingdom, a physical kingdom. But he'd come to set up a spiritual kingdom. He came to bring peace to people's hearts. He was conquering hearts, not land. There's a great difference. So let's talk about the crowd that was gathering there that day because it was a big one. John chapter 12, 12 says the next day, the huge crowd, this is the day after the supper there in Bethany, huge crowd, huge by, by huge, we mean huge. Joseph, Joseph, the historian, he estimated that there was between two to three million people there at that time. That's almost like the population of the lower mainland. Others say it was less, some say 500,000 different numbers. But the way Josephus came up with that number was the priests had recorded, this we know fact, that just prior to this, in this time period, at a Passover, over 255,000 lambs were slain. That's a lot of sheep. And so Josephus said, well, for one lamb, for so many people, and that's how he came up with that number. But nonetheless, there's a lot of people in town. 
a lot of people and a lot of sheep in the background. You see a lot of sheep. You're walking through a lot of sheep stuff. It's, It's sheep country for a while. And you are, everybody's in town. Why are they in town? It's Passover. It's one of the biggest celebrations. For Canadians, think July 1, July July long weekend. That's what it's like to them. Everybody shows up. You show up. You stay at your relative's place in Jerusalem. You booked every hotel, every campground. They're camped on the hillside. Everybody is in town. Families are remembering. They're they're doing family gatherings. They're having a wiener roast. I guess it wouldn't be a wiener roast. Doing a lamb roast, and they're they're hanging out together. It's just amazing time. And you know, anytime you have something like that, you got people that are hey, this is a time to to make a dollar. So you would have some vendors, and they would be saying, hey, uh, you've got fresh roasted lamb here, and they'd be selling this and selling that, and you get the idea. It was a buzz. People were selling. Get your palm branches. Get your palm branches. Three for a dollar, three for a dollar. Get your palm branches. So there was this buzz in the city. It was a party. And everybody was there, and they were remembering, again, coming out of Egypt. That's what Passover was about. A big time. A lot of people together. The crowd had an expectation. They were expecting Jesus to show up, of course. They knew that he was coming. They had heard about what happened to Lazarus. There was a buzz in the air. When Lazarus got raised from the grave... It went viral. Everybody was in on it. It went on the Jerusalem Post. It was on every website. It got Twittered. Everybody knew Lazarus has been raised from the dead. And so they were interested. They were interested in Jesus. People that arrived from out of town had said that there there are some Greeks that came. And they came up to the disciples and said, hey, can we meet this Jesus? We're from out of town. We're very important Greeks. We'd like to have a word with Jesus. We don't know whether or not he gave them that audience, but everybody wanted to talk to Jesus. So Matthew chapter 21, verse 9, it's in your notes, the crowd that went ahead of him. And that followed him. So he's got a crowd ahead. He's got a crowd behind him. He's got a crowd on either side of him. It's busy, busy, busy. And they were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. Hosanna, you know what Hosanna means? Hosanna means save us. Hosanna means save us now. Hosanna means victory now. So they were shouting, save us, save us now. Victory, victory now. Georgia Street is known outside our door here for having lots of marches. Sometimes we have demonstrations on Georgia Street. We live just down the street, and there are times where we'll get up, we'll hear this chanting, we'll hear shouting because there's a demonstration. And you, you look out your window and you hear people and they're shouting, shouting, shouting. It really gets your attention. Well, that day, they were shouting, save us, save us now, save us, save us now, save us, save us now, victory, victory now, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, Hosanna to the son of David, Hosanna. It's loud, it's a parade, it's crowded, it's smelly, it's all of that. It's people jammed together trying to get a glimpse of Jesus. No iPhones, by the way, no cameras, none of that. They're just, you know, different era. But people are the same, and they're looking to see Jesus. What's his reaction to all of this? As Jesus comes again down Mount of Olives, he sees Jerusalem. Something happens to Jesus when he sees Jerusalem. He cries. He weeps. Now, that's quite unusual, right? This is a big deal. You're in a big parade. If you watch a parade and if you watch a politician in a parade, they'll be sitting on the back of a convertible, you know, and they'll be doing this. 
Kind of like the queen, you know, the queen wave. Jesus is not doing that. He's not a politician. He's a king, but he's a different kind of king. Again, a different way. And he comes into Jerusalem, and as he's coming down the Kidron Valley, he sees Jerusalem, and he begins to cry. And when you look at it in the context, when you study it in the original language, it says that he wailed. It's not just a, not just a few tears. He's, he's crying. Ever been around somebody when they begin to cry? It's almost, like, it's almost embarrassing. It's like, okay, get, get a hold of yourself. Like, this is, this is awkward. I think the disciples, this is a little awkward. Jesus, you're crying. This is your parade. Like, come on, they're cheering you. They're shouting to you. And now you're crying. Like, what is going on? When I went to Jerusalem, I had an awkward moment. A pastor friend of mine said, I'm taking a large group to Israel, and I need some bus pastors. It's very simple. Get on the bus, pastor the people, stop at different places, and just explain to them what happened at Mount Carmel, what happened here, what happened where the loaves were divided by the Galilee, and what happened at the Pool of Bethsaida. Just tell the stories, and then just encourage the people, have a few words on the bus, and travel along. I thought this is going to be fun. So I went to Israel. My first trip to Israel was very romantic and seeing all those places. And uh, so we drove to the first place and I saw somebody was crying. I thought, what are they crying about? Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. Just, I'm really having an experience here. I said, oh, okay, whatever. And we went to the next place and <laughs> somebody else is crying. I go, what? are you okay? Why are you crying? I said, oh, I just have this experience. I go, Okay, I, no, forgive me for this. If you're American, really forgive me. But it was an American group. And I thought, you know, these Americans, they're just really emotional. And they're very Canadian. We're a little more conservative. You know, we just don't express it quite as much. And so I, and I know that's terrible thinking. But I'm just confessing as a pastor. I was thinking bad. And I didn't renew my mind to that. So I'm signed up for Dr. Leaf's course next week. <laughs> but anyhow, I'm, I'm thinking these thoughts. And then we go to the next place and somebody else is crying. Oh, man, Give me a break. Anyhow, I was like, why are you crying? But now we're going from Jericho to Jerusalem, and we're taking the old Jericho Road. It's a really small road. A bus barely fits on it. And we come over this hill, and we see Jerusalem. And then it happens to me. I go, oh, no. What is going on? I'm having an experience. <laughs> and I don't know why. I, was, I had the same thing that they had. And I just began to weep and cry. My nose is running. My eyes is running. I distinctly remember looking into the window and just going like this, hoping nobody would see me. Because I was just caught in this presence of God. Like There was something about holy Jerusalem. There's something about this place. And it reminded me of this scripture where Jesus wept over Jerusalem. Now, I wasn't weeping for what he was weeping for. He was weeping for something that we read on here in Luke chapter 19, where it says, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. Because you think your peace is going to come if I conquer the Romans. You'll have peace. But that will not make for peace. He says, you don't know this is a time of your visitation. They didn't realize what God was doing. How many people have missed God's day of visitation? God was at work, but they didn't realize that he was at work. God's at work today. God will be at work next Easter, next week, Sunday morning. God will be at work. 
the people that we invite, God will visit them next Sunday. There will be a day of visitation. And he was weeping that day because they didn't realize it was a day of visitation. He said, I wish that none should perish. He was weeping for the people that were shouting Hosanna. He was weeping for the Roman soldiers. He was weeping for the chief priests, the religious people. He was weeping for these people that didn't see. He wasn't coming to conquer a land. He was coming to conquer a heart. The victory that Jesus would bring is very different than what the world brings. Alexander conquered cities with a horse and a sword. Caesar conquered lands. The Romans conquered lots of country. Genghis Khan conquered more land than anybody else. Any other ruler, he had more land mass than anybody. Conquered more nations and more cities. They asked Genghis Khan a question. They said, what is the source of your happiness? This great world conqueror. To which he responded, the greatest happiness is to vanquish your enemies, to chase them before you, to rob them of their wealth, to see those dear to them bathed in tears, to clasp to your bosom their wives and daughters. Jesus didn't come to conquer like that. He didn't come to conquer a land. He didn't come with a sword. He didn't come with a gun. He didn't come to conquer the moon. The Americans conquered the moon in 1969. James Cameron conquered the deepest part of the ocean this past week, over seven miles deep, went to the deepest part. He conquered that. Jesus didn't come to conquer land. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. Why would he need to conquer it? He conquered something, folks, that nobody has ever conquered, the human heart. He conquered our hearts. He took away the heart of stone, gave us a heart of flesh. He came to give us peace in our heart. All of the world today, all of the world Good Friday, all of the world Easter Sunday morning, Resurrection Sunday, all over the world, Zechariah 9 is fulfilled. He will be proclaimed as the Prince of Peace. Why? Because he took us out of darkness into light. Look at Colossians 1.13. It's there in the notes where it says, He has rescued us from the one who rules in the kingdom of darkness, and he brought us into the kingdom of his dear son. It was a different type of kingdom that he was conquering. And he brought us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Folks, we got a new passport. The passport for the kingdom of light. Not the passport for the kingdom of darkness. And by the way, you can't have dual citizenship. Not in this deal. It's just one citizenship. The kingdom of light. Lots of other verses about that. In the Old Testament, there's a picture of them coming out of Egypt into the promised land. Passover was a celebration of that. Passover, the word Passover just means that, Passover. They would anoint the top of their doorposts with blood in Egypt, the last curse. And God said that death angel will pass over your house if that blood is sprinkled. So now they celebrated it. Jesus was the lamb. They didn't realize the time of their visitation. They should have known. It was all there. Later on, the disciples would look back and say, yeah, now we understand what he was doing. But he was the lamb. His life was shed for us. His blood was spilled for us. That the judgment would pass over us because he took our sins. Somebody once said that you can't really understand the New Testament until you see what God did in the Old Testament. Because everything in the Old Testament was really just a picture of what was to come through the redemption that Christ brought to us. There were a lot of feasts that they had in the Old Testament that celebrated what was the coming out of Egypt. In Leviticus, God gave 
Moses the instruction on how to do those feasts. If you have your notes, so look at Leviticus chapter 23, verse 2. It says, Speak to the children of Israel and say to them, The feasts of the Lord, which you shall proclaim to be holy convocations, these are my feasts. Holy convocations, interesting word. Convocations. That word in the Hebrew is best translated, are you ready for this? Rehearsals. Holy rehearsals. What in the world is he talking about? Holy rehearsals. They were rehearsing what Jesus did on Palm Sunday, Good Friday, and Easter. Every time they took Passover, it was a picture of what was to come. Every time they celebrated, every time they did that, it was a picture of what Jesus would do for us. So, we have uh, Easter service coming in about a week, exactly. And do you know what the worship team's been doing? They have been rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing. Somebody else has been doing this part and somebody's doing that part. And they're rehearsing and they're rehearsing and they're rehearsing. And rehearsing and rehearsing and rehearsing until you don't want to rehearse anymore because you rehearse so much. You've rehearsed your rehearsing and you keep going forward and forward. And you keep looking for the day. And then finally... Easter Sunday comes along, but there's no more rehearsing. Now it's game day. No more rehearsing, no more practicing. Now we get to do it. Up to that point, they had been rehearsing, going over and over again. Every time they took Passover, every time they celebrated these festivals, it was always a picture of what God would do through his son. It was a prophetic picture of what would happen. They rehearsed and rehearsed, and then game day came. Jesus came at the right moment, filled all the prophecies, died and rose again for us. And do you remember what he did just before he went to the cross? He sat his disciples down and he introduced the Lord's Supper. And what did he say there? Do this what? In remembrance. Prior to that, they rehearsed. They looked forward to it. But the big day came and now we look back and we remembered it. It became the pivotal point of history. Now we remember what he did. We don't rehearse because it's over. It'd be silly after Easter Sunday morning for Brad to say, okay, everybody, let's rehearse again. He said, Brad, it's over. Let's get out the photo album and remember the event. So now when we take communion, we get out the photo album and we remember what Jesus did for us. Back then, they were rehearsing. One of the festivals was the festival of booths or tabernacles. And in that festival, Moses introduces the palm branch. Long before others were using it on coins and different things, The Jewish people were using it to celebrate because Moses introduced it here. Leviticus 23, 40, it's there in your notes. Very interesting verse. The Bible is full of hidden gems. You got to dig them out. Kind of like mining, you got to go mine these gems out. But there's an incredible gem here in Leviticus 23, 40. On the first day, gather fruit from the citrus trees. Collect palm fawns, other leafy branches, willows that grow by the streams. Then rejoice before the Lord your God for seven days. The Jewish people, if you study their tradition and study what they did there, the the citrus fruit was a citron, which we don't have here. They have it in the Middle East. So I've just brought an orange. And the orange, the citrus fruit in the celebration, was held in the right hand. Right hand speaks of righteousness, right with God. How do we become right with God? Well, the orange, it tastes good, and it smells good. It's good. Tastes good means I tasted God's word, and I ate God's word. I I smelt it. I embraced his word. So they taste God's word, and they do God's word. Jesus is the word. 
I see Jesus is good, and I embrace Jesus. I taste it, and I do it. So that became the right hand. Smells good, tastes good, smells good. That's the fruit here. And were they, those people in the crowd that day, there, coming into Jerusalem? Oh, yeah, absolutely. There were those who saw God's word, saw Jesus was good, accepted him and followed him. Lazarus was there. We know that. He was pretty excited. I think Bartimaeus was there, blind Bartimaeus, because just before Jesus came to Jerusalem, he'd healed blind Bartimaeus. Zacchaeus was there. How about the little boy who gave up his loaves and fishes? I bet he was there. I bet he was elbowing his mom. Mom, mom, look, here comes Jesus. He's the guy I gave my loaves and fishes to. Yes, yeah, you've told me that story every day since then. Yeah, but there he comes. I get to see him. I think he was there. I think the Roman centurion was there who had seen his servant healed. Maybe, of course, Mary and Martha, the disciples were there. The, some of those who had been healed from leprosy and other diseases, they were there. They were in the right hand. They had seen the goodness of God. They tasted the goodness of God. They embraced it. They believed it. Nicodemus, he was a religious leader, but he would have been there. Joseph of Arimathea, they were cheering him on. They're in the right hand. They have tasted and smelled. Taste it and done. God's word. So they're in the right hand. But then it says something's in the left hand. Or the tradition is the left hand, three branches. First of all, it's the palm branch. Now the palm branch, I put some things there in your notes just to help you along. The palm branch tastes good, but it has no smell. Now I haven't eaten a lot of palm branches in my day, so I can't really verify that. But that's the tradition. That it, it tastes good. But smells bad. It represents those who taste God's word, but don't do God's word. And that's, I should switch hands. That's in the left hand. Now, for us Westerners, we have to understand something. I know this is going to come a shocking revelation to you this morning. So just fasten your seatbelts, hang on to this revelation. The Bible is not a Western book. The Bible is a Middle Eastern book. I know we're a little arrogant. We think it was written probably in British Columbia or maybe Canada or U.S. But no, no, it wasn't. It was written in the Middle East. So it's a Middle Eastern book. The left hand was the unclean hand. And I learned this on my first trip to the Middle East a number of years ago in the early 90s. Somebody warned me and he said, understand the left hand is reserved for bathroom duty. So it's the unclean hand. So it represents the unclean hand, whereas the right hand represented the clean hand. So this palm branch was in the left hand in this celebration. And it represented those who tasted God's word but didn't do God's word. Were they in the crowd that day? Yeah, they were in the crowd that day. Pharisees were there. The Pharisees. There's the one John the Baptist said. Now, they're the very religious people. He says, you brood of vipers. They're the ones who wanted to kill Lazarus. They're the ones who wanted to kill Jesus. There was a hit list out for a couple people. Of them, Jesus said... In Matthew 23, 13, Jesus said to them, I've had it with you. You're hopeless. You religious scholars. You Pharisees. You frauds. Your lives are roadblocks to God's kingdoms. You refuse to enter and you won't let anyone else enter in either. So this is what he's speaking to this group. So did they know God's word? Yeah. But did they do it? No. So that's the one branch. Then another branch that it speaks of is the myrtle branch. I'm going to destroy this little display here this morning. Uh, This is the myrtle branch. The myrtle branch was the next one that Moses referred to. Now, the myrtle branch tastes bad. Matter of fact, it can kill you. It can be toxic. So it tastes bad, but it smells good. It's the opposite of this branch. And if you 
Smell the myrtle, myrtle branch and you actually kind of crush it. It smells like an orange. So smells good, tastes bad. So these are the ones who smell good. There's a fragrance. They do good things, but they have no respect for God's word. Have you met people that, oh, I'm not into the Bible. I'm not into God's word. But they live pretty good lives. Based upon what society wants, they'll live a pretty good life. As society changes, they change. But they, they do good things, but they're not really into God's word. Were they in the crowd that day? Oh, yeah, they were in the crowd that day. They were the ones who were saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. But a couple of days later, crucify him, crucify him. They changed their tune. Then there's also another branch there. And this is the willow branch. Got to get a willow branch out of here. So this is the willow branch. These three branches in that festival of booths were held together in the left hand and waved. In the left hand. And this branch doesn't taste good and doesn't smell good. So we haven't tried any of these either, by the way, So just so you know. But the willow branch here represents those who don't respect God's word and have no intent of living right either. And would they be in the crowd? Yes. Roman soldiers were there. Other evil people were in the crowd that day. Thieves were in the crowd that day and so forth. They were in the crowd that day. But you know, all these people represented in the left hand, whether it be Pharisees, whether it be those that were just shouting, hey, because it's a thing to do, I have no understanding why we're doing it, but it's good, I'm going to do it for the moment, or those that were evil, Jesus was weeping for them. He was crying for them because he wanted none to perish. What would he want to do? He'd want to take all of those from the left hand and put them into the right hand, from darkness to light. That festival, like Passover, all those festivals were a celebration of what God would do when he went to the cross to transfer humanity from darkness to light. When he would conquer a different kingdom, he'd conquer our hearts. Today's a day of visitation. Today, Jesus is visiting us here. You may be in that left hand and say, any one of those examples, but God would reach out to you. If you will just accept my word, Embrace me. I will give you life and life more abundantly. Not based on your deeds, based on what I've done for you. Thank you for listening to this podcast. If you would like to download free notes from this message, then visit our website, www.coastalchurch.org.